The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. is feeling well hope all is well with you so in this episode I got a couple good girlfriends together and we just had a very open candid conversation um, about the loss of Toni Morrison and I know with within my friendships and of course I know you all that are listening and a lot of you all friendships I know some of you all are casual readers or really avid readers but I remember um, like the late 90s early 2000s there was a big uh, movement of black books and you know there was a lot of black book clubs emerging and even now you know we have, you know, Black Girls Read 2, the Black Girls Library, the Black Women's Library, and we have like all these different portals that allows, you know, Black women and Black people in general to have access to a lot of Black authors, which I think is really important. And, you know, we all feel the loss of Toni Morrison, Dr. Toni Morrison, and even though she lived a very powerful and long and fulfilling life, her presence will never be removed from us. And I don't know if I will call this a tribute episode, but it's definitely, you know, talking about and looking at how Toni Morrison made us feel as black women and how Toni Morrison you know impacted us as readers because I read a lot of black author books whether it's like black comic books black graphic novels I always want to read something where you know the black person you know is black centering you know like all the characters are black and it reads black I don't like reading books where the author tries very hard to convince you that the author, the, the characters are black because that doesn't feel authentic to me. So I have this episode for you all. Um, it's a bonus episode. And, you know, I just want to talk about, you know, how Toni Morrison impacted my life and my friends talk about how Toni Morrison impacted their lives. And I'm able to talk about Toni Morrison, I feel, in a more adult way because, you know, when I was first introduced to Toni Morrison, you know, I was a teen, late teen, and I didn't really grasp what I was reading. So now that I am in my 30s reading it, I feel so, I feel so, part of me feel guilt, part of me feels guilty and another part of me feels so appreciative. You know, I'm very appreciative of, of what she gave us. So check out this episode. Let me know what you think. And if you like the episode, please feel free to follow me on social media. And also, I need your votes to go to South by Southwest. So the link will be in the description. So if you like it, please feel free to vote for me to see me at South by Southwest next year. All right. So enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. How's everyone doing? Good. Great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
So, look, thank you all for tuning in today. Um, I think it's very necessary that we have this conversation amongst ourselves about the late, great Toni Morrison. Um, I know a lot of you all love to read, and I know a lot of you all have read Toni Morrison books, and even if you haven't, that's okay, too, because you can always start. I feel like her work is super, super timeless, and I feel like you can always jump into her books no matter where you are and how you feel in life. That's just how I feel. I feel like there's never a moment or a bad time to start a Toni Morrison novel. So we're going to have this roundtable discussion about Toni Morrison basically, you know, how when we start reading Toni Morrison, what some of the things and the takeaways from Toni Morrison books, how it affected us, how it shaped us, and how it, you know, changed changed or created our perception of seeing black women in fiction. So today we have Cecily. Hey, Cecily. Is Cecily still with us? I don't know. Did she drop out? <laughs> All right, and we, well, she might dial back in. And we have Andrea. Hey. Hello. I'm super excited. It's like a verbal book club we're about to have right now. Yay. All right. Anytime so, I can talk about Tony Morrison is good. Okay, good. So, all right. So, you tell me about Toni Morrison. You know, what What did you read, start off reading with Toni Morrison? Um, and because we could take it from there. Okay, so the first time I read Toni Morrison, I was in college. I was an English major, so I was constantly reading. Um, but I read this short story, and I don't even remember the name of it, but I... I loved it, <laughs> um, and she was the first kind of like kind of out there, but still in reality, you know, like I just love how she took like little bits of fantasy and like put it in her book, um, well, that little short story, I can't remember the name of it. Then I read Sula, and um, I really liked it. But, you know, I was in I was in a lit class, so I couldn't, like, reread it the way I wanted to. Um, and then I didn't read Toni Morrison again for, for like, maybe, like, 10 years. Um, and then I read The Song of Solomon, and I was like, this is the most beautiful book I've ever read in my entire life. Like, every word, it just, like... It felt like a book of poetry at the same time, even though it was like a novel, and I appreciated that as well. Um, yeah, like it was like reading like all your favorite parts of literature all in one book, you know, and it was the same story. So that just like kind of blew my mind and um it was just like, oh, my God, wow. Then I read The Bluest Eye, um, and I think that was just, like, really traumatic. I thought it was so beautiful, um, and I remember after I read that, I actually had to, like, it was the first time I actually was like, I need to go online and just read more about this book because I just, I loved it so much, even though, you know, um it was painful. It was still like there was so much beauty in that book that, you know, and I, I just, I loved, um, I loved the sisters that were telling the story too. I, I loved the way that they were with each other and even just the way that they like guided the reader through the story was, um, 
I don't know, just something really magical about it. Um, so, yeah. The, um, yeah. I hope that answered the first question. <laughs> I'll call. Personally, I wasn't on the phone for the question. I got kicked. What was the question? <laughs> All right. The question was, um, where were you in your life when you first read Toni Morrison? What book did you read? And what was your first, what was your initial takeaway from reading Toni Morrison's book? Okay. So I read The Bluest Eye first. And I had to have been maybe 10. Uh, I might have been 10. No. Yeah, I might have been about 10 years old. I read The Bluest Eye. And, um... I know I read it in the car on my way for traveling between New York and Atlanta, and we were in the car, and I was just, like, uh, crying. My heart was full. I remember being so emotional and, like, wanting to be friends with, like, Pecola and <laughs> wanting to, like, reach out to the character. I remember, like, I everything about that book was so emotional for me. And I remember by the time it ended, I was like, okay, this author, it was like the first time I'd ever really felt something. You know, like you read a book and um, you're like, okay, I want to travel to this place or have this adventure. But this wasn't like that. This was like I had been to therapy of some sort, like somebody was pulling emotions. I didn't understand mm -hmm. that. So, so books were supposed to be like, you know, you learn about somebody else's literature, something fun. I never knew that side of literature. So Toni Morrison was like immediately banned in my mind. I was never going to read her books again. Um, <laughs> I was in college by the time I read another Toni Morrison book <laughs> because I stayed away from her work like the plays. Um, <clears throat> Mother had a lot of her stuff, but I would not read it. Um, and so the next book I read was something between that. I think that one and Tar Baby were the two that I read next. And um, I read them by force. And I was like, oh, okay, she's not that bad. And what I'm feeling is that I relate to the characters. There are people I know. And I think that's what made love Tony. Was like she talked about people I knew and people I loved, like, you know, like I could read these characters and say this is, you know, that aunt that wasn't really an aunt, <laughs> that person that mm -hmm. drug around that you were like, how did she get to be family, though? Why, is she, why do I call her aunt? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, how how she auntie and she, who she married? <laughs> like, you know. Toni Morrison kind of brought that to me where, like, I read, like, all the white authors in the world. I think Toni Morrison was, like, that first, I think I realized now, kind of, like, Toni Morrison was that first black author that was, like, oh, you're going to get this the real experience that you run from. You know, like, I'm hiding reading all these, you know, nice Ramona and Beezus and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> But that was real. <laughs> like you gonna get this real emotion, people you can relate to, and that's why I fell in love with her work because it was that relatable to me. Like I knew mm -hmm. people intimately. Yeah, they could have been you know my aunts and uncles, my mom, anybody that I knew. Mm -hmm. I found it. I took part of it. So that's where I was in life, was in my college years and um, as a child. I, I couldn't have been 10. I might have been 9 or 10, but I was young. So Wow. I'm glad you said um, that because I definitely feel like Toni Morrison was the first author that was like, hey, I'm, I'm talking specifically to you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like this story is specifically just for you. I wrote this for. So, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out 
is the first black woman author I read or not, but I, I can't. I don't really know. I want to say yes, but I, I'm, I'm not sure of that. But I remember I didn't actually read her in school. Well, I read her in college, but um, I was about 19 or 20, and I went to the bookstore, and I was, you know, buying books and stuff like that, and I saw Toni Morrison's Sula on sale for, like, a dollar or something like what? that. It was like, oh yeah, my gosh. Yeah, it was like a dollar. It was like a dollar. <laughs> what? That is a like, steal. <laughs> I was like, and I was like, okay, you know what? I'll buy it. It's a dollar. Why not? You know, I already have my pile of books. What's an extra dollar? And I was like part of like, I don't know if y'all remember this, but it used to be like the Black Expressions Club. Where they would send you like oh, black yeah. every month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I would get like only like a book, but then, you know, after I read it, you know, um, whatever came like the list in the catalog, I would try to go to like the library or to the local bookstore where I used to live in live at and I would try to see if those books were on sale and you know, I would buy something that I would be interested in. So anyway, I bought Tony Tony Morrison's Suva, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna give her. You know, this is my first time really diving into her, and I was so taken aback by Suva because I really I had to actually read it a couple times because I didn't know if I was reading just a contemporary fiction. Or was I reading, like, a drama? Or was it, like, slightly horror? Like, it was really hard to pinpoint the style I was actually reading. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Suma was written in the 70s. So, you know, just like Octavia E. Butler, the way it was written and the way it translates is, like, timeless. So I got into Sula, and I remember, you know, you know, after reading a few times, I really started to, you know, conceptualize that Toni Morrison, you know, she was actually writing a lot of great black feminist fiction. Mm-hmm. And because the way her, the way she, the concepts, like for Sula, you know, it's about, you know, two friends who haven't seen each other for a while. You know, Sula is like sleeping with somebody's man and then, and then the friends are hating each other and she throws somebody up in the old folks home and then like, you know, Eventually, you know, life happens, and then, like, they're at this crossroad where, like, all this pain they've endured from others, society, and each other, you know, they try to find some common ground, but it's too late. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gives you, like, a very raw look at sisterhood or what we want sisterhood to be or what sisterhood actually does to us. Because I feel like Sila was written for for everyday women, everyday black women. Who, mm-hmm. We don't really – she wrote it in a way that, you know, we like the idea of sisterhood but we are at times our biggest enemies. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel like Sula was written like, yay for sisterhood, but look how we treat each other, especially when men come in the picture. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So I so I feel like even though it's fiction, I feel like it was a it was a 
it was a black feminist fiction. Mm-hmm. And I feel kind of weird saying that because, like, I can't really describe anything else I've read that's similar to it. But that's, like, the best way I can describe how she wrote that particular book. Now that mm-hmm. she passed, I feel like a lot of, I feel like in general when black women are great black people in our in our in community pass away, I feel like white people are not hesitant to jump on board to be like, you know, try to all lives matter their work as soon as they're dead. Mm-hmm. And I feel right. like that's been, and I feel like that's kind of been kind of happening and like we have and like I've been seeing people reinforce like no Toni Morrison she wrote specifically for black women you know and I've seen like a lot of mainstream mainstream sites try to change that narrative mm-hmm. I mean they Which can try awful. if they want I I mean, but literally, like if like I like have watched practically almost like all of her interviews on YouTube <laughs> more than once. I mean, and she literally is always like, I literally I take the white gaze out of my book. All like she reiterates that every single interview. You know what I mean? So like they could try if they want, but anyone could go on YouTube and see like she has always said I am writing for black women I'm writing for myself I am a black woman I'm talking like you know I'm talking to myself I wrote this because this is what I wanted to read as a black woman mm-hmm. you know so that's the I think that's the especially for us black women you know we can just sit in that and just revel in it and there's nothing anyone can do about it because she said it. <laughs> mhm. Yeah. And continue. You know they will try. <laughs> they will try. They gonna try. They will try. <laughs> they gonna try. But um, I really feel like enough of us, you know, feel like I mean I haven't heard like a black woman say like. You know, she really feels like she's like my mother in some way, you know, like some type of like mother, like creative mother, whatever, you know, I feel the same way because I feel like she was like around my grandmother's age. She's like a couple years older than my grandmother. She grew up where my great grandmother grew up. So like when I read her books or like I listen to her like speak or whatever, I literally feel like it's like my grandmother and my great grandmother talking to me or telling me the story. You know what I mean? I think Yeah. I think we all kind of feel like that in a way. I agree with that. It's like you can I relate to it I think on some level too because the language is like describe mm-hmm. us, and I say us, and even like black women, like there's like a certain like she sees like the heart of the person, and she makes sure that we understand their heart more so than just like descriptions of the character and their intentions. Like we understand like their fashion, like what what their motivation is. Like hear that from in a way. Feel like your grandparents or your mom and you like so I agree with that mother thing like your you're understood like when she talks to you about her experience she wants to know like how it makes you feel that kind of you know extra attention that is everywhere so it felt like okay she gets it it's, it's nurturing the characters and it kind of feels like it's I don't know, it's just like, that's what I, when I read her work is, like, that tenderness she pays to the image of the black woman she's painting. Mm-hmm. Now, as a writer, I am inspired by her because unless, you know, you know, in the late, the mid to late 90s, there was like this wave of urban fiction. 
and it was not hard to not want to read books that didn't censor white people, but I also wanted a variety of the black experience. And it wasn't, you know, most black experience novels that I was reading really censored men or it was men writing about women and it was like entertaining, kind of like reality TV, like entertaining to a degree, (laughs) but it wasn't, but it was very surface level, you know, like I I read like, you know, uh, Fly Girl by Omar Tyree and you know, I don't know if I should probably drop names because it's not fair to compare, but (laughs) it was just always, you know, like surface level and it wasn't until I came to actually read Toni Morrison I felt like, ooh, this is this is tea for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, out of all the books you've read by Toni Morrison, what would you recommend to a young woman to read first? Um, I actually gave my niece uh, The Bluest Eye. She read that when she was, like, maybe 12 or 13, and that was her first Toni Morrison novel. Um, and, you know, she's been obsessed ever since. So, I would say Bluest Eye, because I think because it's, like, basically the narrator, you know, like, children narrating it, um, you know, like, a younger girl could still read it and relate, even though it's, the material is heavy, but I feel like, I mean, at this day and age, kids see so much on TV, like, they'll be fine if they read that book, too, Uh (laughs) you know? Uh, So, yeah, I would say the bluest guy. I agree with that. Um, I read, I gave my daughter the bluest eye first, um, and that was like important to me. What is it about the bluest eye that I feel like it's okay for like younger women to read? I think it's that um, that way that you know. Um, it kind of brings out that idea of being ugly. I think every young girl goes through that mm-hmm. notion of being ugly or the ugly one or, you know, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. They go through that kind of period where we're like, are we, am I cute? <laughs> you know, I don't think people like me, you know, whatever. And just kind mm-hmm. of seeing how bad that can really be and, and like ways that, you know, people contributed to, um, you know, Taking Coca-Cola so like or feel less than. I think that that is kind of eye-opening because it causes us to kind of reflect even, you know, if we don't do those behaviors, those same behaviors, but just reflect on how people are treated. Mm-hmm. I think also, I mean, it also deals with trauma in a um, – more palpable way that um, I think would even just be helpful for, you know, like a younger girl to be able to um, identify her emotions and, you know, just express them better, you know, and that, that was just, I mean, it's apparent in every, I feel like every um, Toni Morrison book is very emotional, but that you know, I just think the bluest size is a little bit more palpable for like a younger a younger girl to read. I agree with it, but I I, I still I think blue, the bluest eye is heavy um, because I guess it's hard. I mean, I guess it's a good conversation opener to introduce uh, black girls to colorism because you know there's so many tones of how colorism is interpreted through the characters in the story not just um, Claudia which is a little girl but her parents and the people around them 
mm-hmm. you know. So it's not just this little girl who thinks she's ugly because she's dark skinned, but her mother and her father who are not light skinned, but how her mother romanticizes mm-hmm. and, and daydreams about being beautiful. Like beautiful is not reserved for dark skinned people and their eyes. Right. Yeah. Yes, and they kind of like fantasize that if the, that a lot, a lot of their problems are related to just, you know, if only I could have, if only the skin I'm in. That's and some of it isn't even that. It's like it was heavy in the colorism aspect of it. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a lot to, especially when I was younger when. You know, it still was a big deal. Um, <laughs> so, like, people focused on it a lot. I was traveling, mm-hmm. you know, New York to the South where it came And I, I didn't understand. Like, you know, I met young girls in the South. You know, I said it was the first time I ever heard That was like, oh, okay. Started to like do those issues with my parents because I finished that book. And I was like, hey, this is what's happening. And they explained it to me. You know, and it gave me like a, a different understanding of all of you to that, you know, because we didn't, my family never engaged in that. So, not on that. Right. Level, I'm sure. You know, I'm sure there was some, you know, <laughs> but on that level, <laughs> Yeah, let me take that. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on that, yeah, as far as, like, the colorism. I'm sorry, keep going. Hold on, that was... You know what else I like about Tony's work? That, you know, the majority of her plots are based in her home state of Ohio. Mm Mm-hmm. So it has mm-hmm. a lot of um, it has a lot of familiar familiar tones to it. Like it's how can I explain it? Like you know how some people write about places and things and environments. It's clear that they've never been to. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have ever yeah. someone someone that was born and raised in Russia. Who's always who's always lived in Russia, writing a story based in California. Like, what do you right? And they have like they have like mainstream things like you know L.A. Hollywood, but like they don't know the actual environment. Like, there's certain things that they don't know because they've never been there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, just. Taking like okay, Shiloh, calm down. Um, just like um, taking like the blue side for example. Like she had like street names, like <laughs> you know, like we turned here, and then like whatever, whatever was there. You know, it did feel very like um, it was still very visual. The book, her books are, you know, like um as far as that's concerned. And I think, like, the streets are still there or whatever, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just looking online, and I'm looking at all of these, like, you know, mainstream websites um, writing about her, you know. Um, for the most part, I would say at least they were smart and they got, like, black women to write it. (laughs) Because, you know, a drag would be coming. For real. And it it would be completely disrespectful to, like, who she is, you know, and everything that she um, stood for, (laughs) you know. 
considering, I mean, like, she literally wrote all of her work for for us. <laughs> you know? So it would be disrespectful to, like, not even have, like, black women writing this because it's about black women. And they shouldn't, I feel, I mean, I haven't really read any articles, I'll say, because I've just been, like, more... Let me just, like, you know, like, look at more of her interviews and stuff like that, you know. But um, I do hope they're not going into too much detail because, I mean, there's nothing to explain. And that's what she would say in her work. Like, I'm not explaining, you know, (laughs) things about the black, you know, things that we do, you know, in the black community. I'm not going to explain it. I don't need to because I'm talking to black people. No, I'm not explaining it. <laughs> okay. And you know what? I think a lot of writers, and you know, I think a lot of writers should, you know, should take that stance. And it's so vastly different from like when I interviewed, um, what's his name? Oh, God, what's his name? When I was at New York Comic Con. And I remember he said to me specifically, that he doesn't want to always be tasked to write about black characters because, you know, he's a writer that's black, not a black writer. You know, that that was Christopher Priest, that's his name. And Toni Morrison was the complete opposite. She embraced that title. Exactly, yeah. I don't know why... I, like I don't know. Like I'm, I, I'm always black first. I can't get around that ever. <laughs> I just can't get around it. I can't say, oh, well, you know what? I just feel like I'm gonna be Asian today, so I'm just gonna well, no, put on my know, Asian I... brain and my Asian skin. Like you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I wish I did. I don't know how. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, men are different, you know, and a lot of men, you know, outside of their race, they pretty much fall short on other intersections. So, you know, it's kind of easy to see how they could separate one from another. But uh, you don't know? that they fall short. I think it's that they cling too hard to just being engulfed in the their own experience. I don't think they even consider some of them. And then it's not until they like get older and have like, you know, daughters, wives, whatever, that they start to, you know, kind of deconstruct the experiences that of the women that are around them. Like they pay attention. Hmm, that's interesting. Like, it's just like, they sit in their bubble, kind of. Sometimes that's the way I see it. I don't know, like, they don't, I don't think they get that deeper understanding until they're, like, immersed in, like, situations that kind of force them to pay attention to it. Oh, that's that's, that's pretty accurate. Mm Mm-hmm, Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. That's that's pretty spot on the nose. Mm-hmm. And I think when when it comes to men, and it's not just black men, it's just men in general, that, you know, they, you know, their manhood is more important than anything, in my opinion. Mm. So, you know, like, even when I was watching the Quincy Jones special, you know, he he could have surrounded himself with other black artists, but he he chose not to, you know? His, mm-hmm. his ears were like, you know, what's his name? Um, um, what Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank Sinatra mm-hmm. and the likes of him, like, he didn't, you know, seek out like Nat King Cole like that, and right. you know, 
others like that. It was more like he wants to be with like the big dogs in the room, and that's more important than anything else. Right. You're absolutely right. Like, could you imagine if we would have gotten a Marvin Gaye and Quincy Jones album? Like, my God. Yeah. You know, my God. (laughs) You know, but you're right. You're right. And, you know, what would we be? Where would we be as women if we didn't have someone like Toni Morrison reminding us who we are, what we are, and where we could be and where we could go? I know. (laughs) I know. Do you think we can have another Toni Morrison in our lifetime? Oh, someone as influential? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's so many talented women writers, our black women writers out there now, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that she encouraged a lot of the, you know, women that are and that, you know, she's a lot of their role model kind of guidance. Um, They've read her and they understand, like, how her voice impacted them and they try to use their voices in the same way. completely different genre, but I think like um, Beyonce sort of has that influence. Um, And like, I know like just the feelings that were evoked from me from just like, um, I mean, even before Lemonade, like if the Beyonce album, like that visual was like really emotional for me, like, and I was like, crying at the end of that you know what I mean like same with well I was crying in a different way with um lemonade and homecoming but still like that like like it was just very deep emotions you know that I was just feeling looking at that sort of like even though they were different emotions they were still like just as deep like reading when I read Tony Mars. So I think it'll show up in in different ways now. What do you want? If someone asks you, what do you want non-black people to take away from Toni Morrison? What would you say? I feel like this is a trick question. Um, <laughs> um, I don't. Uh, I don't even know. Um, uh, don't ask me any questions. That that's number one. <laughs> don't ask me. Any questions. <laughs> um, that would be yeah. The main thing would just be don't ask me any questions. Like maybe, maybe now do you see like the, you know, just like the, I I don't know. Because I feel like non-black women, they try and take so much from us anyway. I don't even know if I would feel comfortable talking with them about Toni Morrison, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Because I feel like a lot of the language and the situations that she, you know, tells, it'll be just way too much trying to help them unpack why it's important, why it's written the way it is, and what the story is really trying to say. Right. It would be like trying to, like, uh, translate Mandarin verbatim 
Exactly. And, and like saying, okay, now make it make sense. You know, I think like you would never ask, you know, some like Chinese, a Chinese person to do that. So don't ask me to do that. Like, get, come on. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like if you even directed someone to her work, there's so much symbolism that would be missed. Like that we would that we kept that we like. Oh wow, you know, like and you marvel at because you can see it like plainly if you pay attention. I mean, of course, there's always people not paying attention, but. I think there's so much symbolism that even from within us that we can pull from it that other people can't necessarily, like, they miss the cue. Um, I think that, that's part of the, the reason why I would never try to. I know it can be done, but, and I know someone out there is far more qualified to do it than me. But it's not happening uh, for me. <laughs> that's, that's, <emotional>. <laughs> <laughs> that's beyond emotional labor. Um yeah, no. So, um, but yeah, I think that there's there's a lot of similar. Someone would have to be really dedicated to standing it. Uh, mm-hmm. Them saying from a perspective like, okay, maybe I missed something here. You know, let me. I'm just trying to understand. Uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. You know who else I feel that way about. And I wouldn't even, like, risk, you know, even waste my time trying to explain their work to someone, to a non-black person especially. I feel that way about Zora Neale Hurston. Oh, no. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. I, like, I would never. Like, it, it's disrespectful. <laughs> it's literally disrespectful. Like, if you, if anyone knows, like, an inkling just a little bit about her you wouldn't even you know what like you just wouldn't i'm not going to do that to her (laughs) like because she was so into preserving black culture like what no no Mm -mm. it's like get away granny's recipes that's not done (laughs) (laughs) like my mama didn't give it to you oh wow i don't know what to tell you then you know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. What's in there? And I, I, say that again, I didn't hear you. Sweet potatoes, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I almost feel like, and what's so, I'm looking at a picture of Zora Neale Hurston right now, oh my gosh. Um, But I feel like, um, and this could just be me, but sometimes I felt like Toni Morrison was, like, channeling Zora Neale Hurston and, like, you know, like, Zora was, like, writing through her somehow because I still feel like there were, like, such sprinkles of her in her work, you know. I could believe that because... When did she pass? You know, she passed, you know, um, Zora passed away in 1960. Yeah, I was going to say the 60s, yeah. She died mm-hmm. in 1960. And later in her life, you know, um, her life could have easily been a Toni Morrison book. Like, mm-hmm. she didn't have any money. You know, she mm-hmm. wasn't really receiving the recognition and the and the royalties she was due, you know, she kind of had to, like, um, she had to really survive. Yeah. She was this noted, you know, author and filmmaker who was at the height of the Harlem Renaissance was a celebrity in so many ways. And Mm -hmm. now she's, like, poor and she's like a maid and cleaning homes because mm-hmm. this this amazing author who who is a great American writer doesn't have any money and can't pay her bills. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Like, that reads like a Toni Morrison book. Like, mm-hmm. this great author who still has to clean up the white people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a lot. I, it is, and I, I, I think Zora taught me that it's okay to write creatively in African-American vernacular English. Like, don't apologize yep. for it. Write, mm-hmm. write the word ain't. Write the word because mm-hmm. you know who you're talking to. You know, it's okay mm-hmm. to do that shit. Do that shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who this message is for won't be used or have to have translations. They'll get it. If they apply, if they want to get it, they'll get it. And, yeah, I agree. Zora Neale Hurston did exactly that. Open my eyes. Yeah. It's wrong when you slip into your, you know, your your cultural, uh, you know, dialect and you're talking amongst your friends. That's normal. That's okay. And yeah, it's needed. And there's value in it. And stop letting people treat your culture like it's not valued. It's not, you know, it's not to be hidden. I don't have a problem. I'm not code switching for you all day. When I want to say, you know, when I want to talk flat, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Do that. And I don't have to struggle for you. And it, 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 like, her work is what gave me pride in, you know, my heritage and, you know, Hey, I don't know. Y'all talk how y'all talk when, you know, you get around each other. That's how y'all do. But when I get with my folks, I'm going to talk, you know, and enjoy myself. And even beyond that, I've learned I don't care. I I'm going to talk exactly mm-hmm. like I want. I'm going to mm-hmm. hear everybody. It's not ugly. It's not flat English. Um, <laughs> and I get angry, you know. And so I don't, yeah. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And Zora made that happen for me. And in some ways, Toni Morrison was like the continuation of that. Even in, you know, all of her work, you you would still get that. So. Mhm. I agree. I agree. I love I love the timeline of like black women breaking barriers and walking, just so we can see the continuation of black women taking that and flying and soaring. And, you know, now we're here with us and we're continuing, whether we're, we're contributing to it, we're indulging in it, we're, we're, you know, living it. It doesn't even matter. It's the fact that we are continuing it in some form of fashion. Yeah. It's almost like, to me, I feel like, Zora Neale Hurston and Toni Morrison, like, they're the standard. Like, you know what I mean? You know, even with black authors, like, if you are not talking to me, like, if your work is not saying, hey, girl, I'm talking to you, then there's no point in me even continuing to read the the story. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I was reading this one story written by a black woman, but I was like, is she talking to me? I just don't feel like she's talking to me. I cannot read this because she's talking to the person behind me, and I don't know who that is, but it ain't me. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Because, like, I felt like she was like, she was like, I'm light-skinned like Beyonce. And I'm like, well, why are you, why are you saying that? What type of light, like, why do you have to say light-skinned like Beyonce? We all know what light skin is. Girl, you could have said red bone. It would have been fine. I mean, yellow bone, like whatever. But, you know, like to say I'm light skin like Beyonce with her type of highlights. Like, what? <laughs> Girl, you're weird. I'm not reading this. So, well, here's like one of my that is quotes. standard. Here's one of my favorite quotes from Toni Morrison. <laughs> You want to fly, you got to give up the shit that weighs you down. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> you really do. <laughs> and yeah. love is or it ain't. Thin love ain't love at all. <laughs> Say that one again. That's a that one again. That's a one again. That's a good 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 like, if you're only loving yourself a little bit, like, that's trash, you know? <laughs> yep. So, <laughs> like, I told my daughter the other day, she was like, oh, my God, why do we have to clean my room? Ah. I was like, this is part of self-love, girl. You, you clean your room because you love yourself. <laughs> you don't want your stuff all over the place. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> that's better than saying I to- because I told you so. Because <laughs> yeah. that's, that's so my fault because you have to do it. <laughs> <Not even. laughs> like, yeah, I cannot take looking at this anymore. But really, like, come on, girl. You got all your stuff all over the place. Do you care? <laughs> I like I like that though. That's like very positive, right? Yeah. Take, take it, girl. Take it. It's a priority. I want Shuri to know that. Yeah. Clean your room because you love yourself. I have to remind myself of that too because sometimes I'll be like, "Oh my God, I can't take it anymore." Uh, me too, because I clean everybody's stuff first and get to mine, and I'm too tired. <laughs> Clean the whole house and close my door. <laughs> I had to kick my kids out the other day. I was like, y'all, I got to kick you out because I need to clean my room, and it's not going to get clean if y'all just like laying all over my bed. <laughs> they sure will lay all over your bed and watch you clean it as if they don't spend a substantial amount of time in there. Tell me about it. They think that's like the living room. That's the living room part two. <laughs> that is so, so true. Here you are on my bed. <laughs> that is very, very true. Well, y'all, it has been very real. Thank you all for calling to talk about Toni Morrison. I don't feel, I feel like there's not enough words for me to express how important and how pivotal she is in the black woman's experience. And just talking about her with y'all made me feel a lot better. So thank you. Oh, my God, thank you for allowing me to talk about her because, you know, my family is like, I am tired of hearing about Toni Morrison. You talk about the book and the characters in your book entirely too much. (laughs) Like, please, Mommy, I need a break. So thank you all, and for all you who are listening, if you haven't grabbed the Toni Morrison book, you can start today. We we talked about a couple books. There are plenty of books. You even have children books. So if you want to read something to your children, you can. Or if you just want to read it, you know, by yourself. Um, I think she has some children books with her that's um, co-authored with her own children. So you should just check yeah. that out when you get a chance. So I just want to add that Toni Morrison did all of her audio books. So you literally get to hear her tell her own story if you, like, get the audio book. I think you should have, like, the print and the audio, to be honest. But, you know. Yes. 
You know what else I found? If you want her to, like... One... Hmm. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, so you can get, like, you know, double your pleasure. You get her words, and you get her reading it to you. That's no better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found out she wrote one published poem that was published, like, in the 90s. <gasps> really? Yeah. Do you know what it's called? I have to find it, and when I find it, I will link it to you. But, yeah, I was reading that in some article that she wrote a poem and was published, and that was, like, the only poem that, that was published from her in the 90s. Wow. Because I think, what was it? I was, like, rereading, I don't know, either The Blue Side or Sula, and I was like, oh, my God. I would just love a whole book of poetry by her. But then I was like, this, her books are literally poetry. So she would probably, like, if someone asked her that question, she'd be like, um, all my books are poetry. So what are you talking about? That makes me feel better. <laughs> I'm going to oh, find it for you. I just you found, found it. it. Yeah. Hold on. Is it a long poem? Um... I don't know if they're giving the the poem itself. Here it is. Okay. Hold on. I don't know how long it is. Yeah, here it goes. It's five poems. Five? Uh-huh. Are they long? Hold on. Is it featuring her poetry or is it her? Hold on. Let me let's let's look at this. Um I'm gonna send it to you. Oh yay. Okay. Just sent it. Hold on, let me see. Doom, doom, doom. Hold on. <laughs> oh, do you mind if I read one? Yeah, read it. They're not, they're oh, not no, read yeah. Okay. This one is called, I Am Not Seaworthy. I Am Not Seaworthy. Look how the fish mistake my hair from home. I had a life like you. I shouldn't be riding the sea. I am not seaworthy. Let me be earthbound, star fixed, mixed with sun and smacking air. Give me the smile, the magic kiss to trick little boy death of my hand. I am not seaworthy. Look how the fish mistake my hair from home. And this was illustrated by Carol Walker, who did her, who did the New Yorker cover of her, um, her um, upcoming tribute in the New Yorker. Kara Walker is her name. I'm gonna have to look up her work. Yeah, she did. She's a black woman artist, um, um, visual artist. She did the whole um, Black Sphinx at the Domino Sugar Factory in New York a few years ago. Mm, okay. It was like this big controversy because it was the Black Sphinx had the face of like a um, a mammy. And the body of a sphinx. Oh wait, I think I, I think I may have seen that. I feel like maybe you, yeah, from you what you're describing, yeah, yeah, you definitely saw it. Yeah, I feel like I saw it on like social media. Yeah, the top part was our, like a mammy, and the body was the sphinx. And it was in the Domino Sugar Factory in New York City. I think it took about a couple years for her to install that. Mm. So it was a sculpture. Was it a sculpture or an actual yeah, painting? Yeah, 
it's an actual sculpture and it's humongous. I'm wow. gonna send you a photo of it. Yeah. Okay. Carol Walker is dope. Like she's like super dope. Yeah. So, oh my God, thank y'all. I needed this. <laughs> You're welcome. And I love that I was actually on Howard's campus talking about this. So, yeah. Multiple. This is dope. Dope. Thank you, Cicely. Thank you, Erica. I hadn't talked to anybody about Tony Morrison at all because I was just emotional. So I just yeah. it together yeah. over here. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm good. I mean, I cried rivers. <laughs> rivers. Yeah, I was really, I was really sad. I was really sad. Like, I was sad just like I was sad when I found out Wendy Houston passed away. Mhm. Mhm. It was the same thing. Same, yeah. I was like, oh my god, like my brain really just needs to adjust to this. This yeah. is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> like so weird. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you all Me and my for this conversation. Thank you for having me talk about this. Yeah, so hopefully, you know, all the other black women that are listening to this, it also helps them as well. Yeah. Thank you all. Talk to you all later. All right, Erica, love you. Love you, Seth. You too. Love you too, Andrea. Talk to you later.